The science of learning is such an interesting thing. If we want to imagine how we can take a craft and apply evidence and research to it, then we've got choices, don't we? We've got choices about what we do, about how we do it, about why we do it, but most importantly, we need a process. We need a way of thinking through and discerning what it is that we do as educators to create today's learning for tomorrow's world. In series nine of this crazy little Game Changers podcast series, we've been exploring the science of learning and I can't wait to wrap it all up with the mighty Adriano De Prado. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation, Phil, can you share with our audience a little bit about our Series 9 sponsor? Sure thing, Adriano. A School for Tomorrow is a globally recognised network that supports students, educators, school leaders and their communities to thrive in the new world environment. With their strategic educational development program, they seek to identify and define strategy, structures and operations for a preferred future. They support the educational aspirations of each school community through the development of a high-performance culture. To find out more about how they can help your school, you can visit the link in the description or contact their client associate, Kyle, at kyle at circle.education. That's kyle, K-Y-L-E, at circle.education. Let's go. Phil, how is the uh, People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you today? Oh, look, it's beautiful. I know that you're going to claim that where you're located today in the uh, gorgeous island of Bali, <coughs> I know that you're going to claim you're in heaven, but I can tell you in the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy, it's paradise. <laughs> well, I love it. And, and, and what, the, what the listeners can't see is the, uh, the glowing light over the top of you, mate. There's a halo, probably the first time in your life, but enjoy it while it lasts. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to our conversation about Series 9. And as you said, uh, it was about the science of learning. In, at our very first episode with, uh, with the prologue, Phil, uh, we, we attempted to kind of unpack the provocation. And the provocation was, how can we use emerging research about the science of learning to inform the design and development of transformative learning and the ecosystems which house this learning? And fortunately for you and I, in Series 9, we once again encountered 10 remarkable humans, a leading neuroscientist, a former director of wellbeing and, and, and now an author, an executive principal from New Zealand, an international exclusion ex- expert from the UK, a dynamic organisational psychologist, a man cave founder, a celebrated Australian chef who, whose food that we both love, a cognitive load specialist, a director for transformative learning and teaching, and of course, the commissioner for children and young people in South Australia. Each challenged our thinking and inspired us with their own stories of purpose and their their own stories of meaning. Each Series 9 Game Changers guest shared with us all the kind of key building blocks to help us take the big step forward and up, as you would say, Phil, to construct this new social contract of education, today's learning for tomorrow's world. Without compromising, as you would say, Adriano, the reality that for all of our learners, each one of them is home to a unique life and acknowledging that whatever it is that we do, we need to start with belonging because out of belonging and that sense that we belong together in a connected web of interdependence, then we might achieve our potential. And if we feel as though we belong and achieve our potential, then we might go on to do what is good and right in the world. And of course, that was part of our 
prologue to the series as well too, looking at the research that we've been doing into the science of learning and that little piece around there about character and then the eight steps of the way and then thinking about what continuous learning might be and applying the lessons in particular of the last three years to help us understand how we might do learning anytime, in school, in context, online and on country. There you go. Now, Phil, episode number one. We started off the series with leading neuroscientist Jared Cooney-Horvath. And uh, of course, our conversation uh, with Jared allowed us to kind of build an understanding of neuroscience to be this kind of empirical study of the brain and the connected nervous system that he, he so eloquently spoke of. That the brain is this organ that enables us to adapt to our environment, in essence, to learn. And we're also able, with Jared, to kind of explore the critics of neuroscience you know, those who fear that it represents this kind of reductionist view around the role of the brain or a determinist view that our neurological kind of inheritance sets us on a path that is unchangeable. However, of course, Jared set us on the right course and provided us an insight into the neuroscience perspective, which recognizes that each person constitutes an intricate system operating at a neural, at a cognitive and at social levels with multiple interactions taking place between things like process as well as levels. One of the things I really like about what you've just summarised there, Adriano, is all of the backroom engine work that sits behind neuroscience and its contribution. What Jared presents, of course, is a front of house where none of that technical jargon appears and instead a rich narrative about the connection of me and you and us and yesterday and today and tomorrow emerges. He's one of the best storytellers I've ever come across. He's a remarkable and engaging person. I've watched him in the room with tired, jaded educators really lift them and help them see a way forward. And everything he does is clearly informed by research. And he doesn't seem to take himself too seriously as well. And talking of people who don't take themselves too seriously, Daisy Turnbull like one of us, Adriano, has worked at St. Catherine's School in Waverley in Sydney, although I'm sure Daisy was a lot better as a teacher and as a member of the senior staff than, uh, than some bloke with a beard at the, at the same time. I really enjoyed the way in which Daisy brought clarity of thinking and a really fresh set of eyes that combined openness, but at the same time, a critical perspective on the different theories of what might impact on an understanding of well-being and wellness and how you bring them into a classroom uh, and into a whole school context. In particular, I thought she, think she was a really good example of a critical and creative thinker. And, you know, I think one of the challenges that we have in education is that if you're the sort of person who loves the next new thing, you just jump on board it straight away. And Daisy, mm. Daisy is really, really good, particularly with her thinking around mindfulness and how it might apply in a context in a school. You know, pretty cautious around taking on new things unless you've done your thinking really carefully about what's the idea, what its impact might be, test it carefully. You know, she, uh, she was a really good case study in how to build iterative improvement using the science of learning in a school. You know, for mine, Phil, uh, our encounter with Daisy was a powerful kind of exploration around what type of measures we can use in our learning communities to assess the wellness of, of our students, 
of our staff and of course the overall health of the community that, that in which we serve. Of course, also there was this great exploration around the value of considering the role of personal goals, challenging assumptions, you know, cognitive flexibility, um, courage over fear, emotional regulation and self-determination in supporting young people to thrive in their future, all fostered in a, in a kind of school ecosystem that Daisy described that, that values high support, which is your wellness component, as much as high expectations, which is your academic kind of pursuit component. You know, a, a school ecosystem that explicitly cultivates relationships that give each young person a profound sense of psychological safety, where they are known, where they are valued and loved, remembering, of course, Phil, that wellness always comes first. Then we move to episode three with young Oliver Lovell. You know, and our encounter with Oliver, you know, reminded me, Phil, of, of a school for tomorrow's graduate outcome of continuous learner and unlearner. You know, Ollie for me is this educator who's never prepared to stand still and be defined by one pedagogical approach, but open to his own evolution as a learner teacher, deploying a range of methodologies fit for the context of each individual student in his care. You know, we were able to unpack with him the science of learning around cognitive load theory, and we know he's a very efficient and, and, and a proficient person in that particular space. But we also explored direct instruction. We explored inquiry-based learning approaches, and we did it in a way where it wasn't, it, it was more about an and 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 more instead of this either or argument that we always hear in relation to pedagogy. Oh, and, um, what, a, and what a tedious argument that is. What a tedious ridiculous. argument. You've cued me now to go on my rant around this sort of stuff. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing a theory, which is championed by somebody or an organisation that has a particular agenda. Either it's a confirmation bias, either it's something that's a personal preference or it's, or it's in the case of certain media organisations, it's pushing a particular political objective, you know? And I think Ollie modelled for us as well as an absolutely stunning moustache that I have a feeling, sadly, he shaved off because it's no longer November. But um, <laughs> Ollie modelled for us a, a really good way of the way in which teachers take on new ideas in their practice, i.e. you go into it, you read up on it, you study it, you absorb it into your practice you take on mastery of it, but it then becomes one of a number of tools in your toolkit that you have the choice to apply to a particular context or not. I love Ollie's absolute honesty as well too, and his his candor about what's going on in his classroom. You know, quite happy to talk about the stuff that's working, the stuff that's not working, the stuff that the kids think he's a bit of an idiot about, the stuff that the kids admire. You know, all of that sort of stuff. It's hard not to be uh, impressed by this approach in terms of the way in which the science of learning works. Christine Jung, of course, the CEO and founder of Beyond Story, gave us a completely different perspective. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the perspective of a psychologist. And in particular, gave us a really clear insight or set of insights into the importance of emotion and empathy in her work, uh, as much by sharing her story as much as anything else. And I'm, I'm a very big believer that data doesn't speak for itself. I'm a very big believer that you always need to understand the context into which data is being placed and that you need to be able to read the story of the data. You can't read the story unless you understand the experiences and the feelings that those experiences provoke in the people whose lives are being affected by the data. You know, it's a, I think sometimes we imagine 
that sort of, it's a little bit like Voldemort and Harry Potter, you know, Voldemort reaching into Harry Potter and extracting the data and saying, here is the data, young Potter. And, and, and it's, it just doesn't work that way. You can't separate the numbers from the person. The numbers are important. The words are important. The feelings are important. The human flesh is important. All of it is one big package. And that's why we keep talking about the whole of learning. And I thought Christine's insights into the way psychology can help us to measure the skills that we need to adapt and thrive in today's world and give us an insight into the way in which we can tap into rich emotions. I was seriously impressed. You know, what, what's really powerful about what you're sharing with our listeners and, and what Christine did with us is that, you know, data is inherently human. And, and how do we use it to create these stories? You know, um, as you said, you know, Christine is, is a leading organisational psychologist who actually has been recognised in 2020 by the Asian Australia Leadership Summit via their 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australians, which is a wonderful accolade uh, to receive and, and a testament to her phenomenal work. What, what her organisation does and what she does really well is they really unpack and help us see the true value of optimising psychological fitness in every human in our workplaces, in our schools, so that each person has this deep sense of belonging, fulfilment and empowerment. You know, basically what she did, illustrated for all of us is this connectedness to and with your immediate community, you know, fostering an opportunity to kind of step into your own agency for meaning making. And then ultimately, how can we become positive contributors and challenges, uh, you know, within, within the schools that we serve or the workplaces that we serve. Talking about someone who is also a bit of a, a powerful and significant game changer, Phil, someone who's very familiar to you in episode five, and that is Hunter Johnson. You know, this important conversation about the stuff of, of raising good men through navigating a new narrative of masculinity. You know, Hunter provided us with a really deep, deep insight into all things man cave discussing the unique challenges and opportunities of masculinity in today's world, a world where, as he describes, and we would agree with, should welcome young people of all gender identities and sexual orientations, where we, where we should support each boy to become a great man, each on a journey of, of continuing to understand how they navigate and empower themselves and, and, to, and to healthily express you know, their own identity through building of their individual resourcefulness around character, mental health, around emotional competency and, of course, around wellness. Couldn't agree more. Um, Adriano, as you know, we're passionate about finding constructive ways forward for young men in the world. There's a very strong critique of the way in which um, many men behave uh, and many boys behave. And yet we know that if we wag a finger at boys, they're not going to respond the way that we want them to. So we've got to find um, really constructive models um, to help them do that and processes which help them to see the world and see the possibilities in the world as about connection rather than conquest. What I really like about Hunter, apart from the work that he does, is the way in which he goes about what he does uh, and the way in which his organisation does it. There's a lovely empirical playfulness about what they do, which is balanced by deeply strategic and considered thinking. It's very thoughtful. It's very gentle. There's a lot of work that they do around noticing and observation and being present um, with people. Really, really good example of how to take the science of learning for yourself and help transform the journey of another person to do 
the same thing. We love the work that Hunter's doing, that Man Cave are doing, and that Stuff are doing. And uh, we can't wait to see that develop further. Episode six brought us into contact with, I think, can I, can I go out on a limb here, Amico? Can I go out on a limb and say the most impressive school principal who I know? Uh, and that's Sarah Martin from Stonefields in New Zealand. I've been watching Sarah from a distance for a long time as she's had the opportunity to build a school and a community from scratch. Everything they do is research informed. Everything is clearly informed by a rationale as to what you should do, why you should do it, and the evidence that indicates that it works. She and her team build culture through vocabulary that expresses the intent of vision and a clear understanding about the velocity of change. If there's a great school in the world, I think Stonefields is a great school. And she's so humble about what she does and so down to earth and delightful. You've been encouraging us to think about the ecosystem of learning. And, you know, we've, we've come at this sort of four principles around it of, of human-centred and technologically enriched and people and planet and place conscious and intentionally purposeful. That's Sarah and that's mm. her school. Um, really loves the opportunity to connect with her for the first time. As I said, been watching her for a long time and now finally having had the opportunity through this, uh, this crazy little podcast that we do to actually do that and, uh, and, and learn from her. You know, we, we, we got to learn about Sarah's vision at, at Stonefields, uh, an explicit belief that developing each learner holistically is critical to creating, you know, curious individuals who think and obviously can relate well to others. She shared with us the, the four principles that underpin that thinking, building learning capacity, collaborating, making meaning, and breaking through where we're being stuck, so to speak, is celebrated and harnessed as an opportunity to build everyone's learning capacity, supporting them to own the learning problem find and problem solve creatively. And of course, face their kind of changing future with confidence and competence, adaptability and self-efficacy, as we often talk about at a school for tomorrow. In, in episode seven, uh, our listeners got to encounter Daniel Sobel, and our conversation about the science, any, I should say, any conversation about the science of learning without looking at those in our schools, Phil, who traditionally have been an afterthought or in the too hard basket, isn't a conversation then worth having. And, and what Daniel, this leading ex, expert and author in exclusive education from the UK and a major influencer uh, in this important space across the entire globe, what he was able to, to share with us was a vision for a new era in, in inclusion for our schools beyond labels where we all share both a common humanity and actively embrace unique individual individuality. You know, so much of Daniel's work is centered around changing the narrative around neurodivergent individuals through awareness, through education and through engagement. And his latest book with Sarah Olson, you know, the inclusive classroom is, is just one example of this aspiration. You know, I love having the opportunity to um, be at least in a virtual space with Daniel, because when you do, you learn so much every time um, his own story gets woven through um, everything that gets done, but not in an immodest fashion. It's just a natural part of the conversation. And it's very, very helpful because it grounds what he argues for. And what he argues for is not just about 
those who have been excluded traditionally and need to be included. He argues for the premise that if we attend to those at the periphery, if we tend to those at the margins, then we will be better at tending to everybody in our care because the lessons we learn with those who find learning more difficult or who have been excluded um, by systems and organisations and practices, no matter how well intended, if we get those things right, then we'll be better at learning for everybody. And at the same time, if we create learning that is genuinely inclusive, then everybody's learning benefits along the way because we're practising the collaboration, we're practising the interdependence, we're practising the teamwork, and we're practising the humanity. He is a remarkably humane person and, uh, and, and somebody whose work we admire greatly. Talking of remarkable human beings, Glenn Whitman. Of course, he's a history teacher. Prado, <laughs> of course, he's a history teacher. Again, uh, you know, Glenn at St Andrews Episcopal, but also the executive director for the Centre for Transformative Teaching and Learning. In many ways, the conversation with him brought together pretty much all of the sort of stuff um, that we were talking about. In particular, uh, you know, he was very, very, uh, you know, keen to impress upon us this notion of the plasticity of learning as something that goes on throughout life, despite the training that uh, many of us might have had early in our careers, um, which suggested, you know, that on the basis of the best of knowledge that existed at that time, that, uh, you know, brains kind of stopped where they were somewhere around about the age of 19. Well, that's not true. They go on throughout life. If we accept that, then all of these pieces of the science of learning have something to tell and something to add along the way. If you're looking for an account of how to integrate all of the pieces of this together and think about how to inspire teachers to learn about themselves and their own learning and then to learn about how to shape the learning of their learners, of the children in their care through this new emerging and established science of learning. I think you can't go further than Glenn Whitman. Plus, his nana makes great luckers. Probably not as good as my nana. Anybody who's got a yen for fried potato snacks has got to, has got to be good in my books. There you go. Um, food, food is always a significant part of our lives, Phil, and I'm, and I'm glad that Glenn shared, you know, his experience with with his grandmother. Um, you know, f- for me, Glenn was able to share with our listeners a practical kind of guidance using, you know, theoretically sound research based principles in the design of schools and classrooms and the work that we do with individual students, basically on how best to utilise this growing body of educational neuroscience research to influence a new narrative for a better normal in schooling and and a world where every teacher better understands how every student's brain learns, elevating teacher effectiveness, student achievement, and of course, the whole child's total school experience. And then finally, Phil, after those eight episodes we were blessed once again to encounter a special series, a special series with two individuals, Scott Pickett and Helen Connolly, that you have so beautifully uh, introduced us to and all our listeners. What it reminded me of your conversations with Scott and Helen was the true value of the individual and the collective agency. These two dynamic individuals from two completely different industries, each making a commitment to belonging, a deep love of forever remaining curious, fostering an impact through uh, active involvement, and of course, finding opportunities to create harmony about self, place and the other. All of these 
often achieve through, through both of these individuals in Scott and Helen discovering their own calling and then their preparedness to pay it forward and share that calling, that knowledge, that, those skills in the service of others. As ever, Adriano, you just serve me up these treats of these remarkable human beings to go and uh, get to know and have a chat with. I remain very grateful for the opportunity of having these special series. Um, both Scott and Helen are special people and special leaders as well too. I really enjoyed hearing from Scott about how the science of learning in, in an applied and technical field works and the rigour of it. Um, and that if you're going to build a great organisation, you have to have it as a, a sophisticated and well-oiled learning machine. Learning occurs everywhere. It's, it's, it's a normal, natural, human sort of thing to do. I love Scott's honesty. I love Scott's passion for life. I love Scott's food, but, you know, nobody would be surprised by that. I think our listeners had an opportunity to explore the way in which mastery can be achieved and then mm. passed on through all of the theories that we've learned at the School for Tomorrow about the shape of learning within that ecosystem that, that I described earlier. So there's the theory of relationship that says everything starts with relationship. You've got to learn through and with relationships with people. There's the theory of everywhere, which says all learning is occurring at all places at all times. So therefore, you've got to think about the places of it. You know, when you're listening to Scott talk about all parts of a restaurant and all parts of hospitality and the places and the and trying to establish standard operating procedures in and around it. And that then ties into the theory of culture, which talks about the rituals and the habits that are built into the way we do things here. And then there's the theory of pedagogy, which says that there are specific ways in which we teach in what we do. And, you know, there's Scott, who's been living what we've been learning about for the last 25 to 30 years. Um, genuinely. And, and everything intentional, Phil. Everything highly intentional. Highly, highly intentional. Um, you know, so... Yeah, it really, really good example of a learning organisation, but also the enterprise skills and the, and the entrepreneurial thinking um, coming to the fore as well. I think that Helen Connolly's life story as well um, reveals much of that same sort of intentionality, this time perhaps less so in terms of that sort of building of expertise towards a particular end and more in terms of developing that sense of purpose around a life and how you might take values and translate that into value. And in many ways, what we saw um, from Helen was an exquisite example of how to build you know, statewide organisation, which is all premised, of course, on research, research that focuses on the most significant stakeholders, which, of course, in Helen's case, other children. I love um, hearing her account of the way in which she built an entire strategic plan for the Commission um, for Children and Young People based on the accounts, the, the, the little one-page postcards of the one thing I want Helen to know. So it was the words of the children that informed the strategy and then the really sophisticated way in which that strategy played itself out and then the development of incredible resources to inform people 
um, in and around that. Again, the building of a learning organisation, the demonstration of entre entrepreneurship uh, within a social context and within a corporate context and the enterprise skills and cracking human being. My goodness. Thank you again, my friend, for, for uh, indulging me and allowing me to learn so much from these remarkable game changers along the way. So let's thank Jared, Daisy, Oliver, Christine, Hunter, Sarah, Daniel, Glenn, Scott, and Helen, you know, for sharing their story and their purpose. And, and to all those who have listened or are listening still to Series 9, we now have, I believe, a deeper understanding about the human development and the learning that goes on having come a long way since we began crafting our schools and, and a shift in our design and approach that is intentional. It's very clear. It can then better align the way, the way in which we teach with the way in which students now can learn. And, you know, for years, great teachers have been doing really important things in a classroom fill across the globe that embody the kind of affective learning sciences, which are now being confirmed, as you've just said there, around those kind of four kind of uh, areas. But particularly, I'm highlighting, of course, relationship with the cognitive sciences. Relationships matter deeply because people matter. And every one of our 10 game changes illustrated why people matter. That learning happens when a brain feels safe and supported because everyone needs to feel seen and valued. And finally, that no child is a lost cause because we should never forget, Phil, that each person in a learning community is what? Home to a unique life, Annika. Home to a unique life. It's as simple and as complex as that, my friend, born from the construct of love, of self, for place, for planet, and of course, for the other. Please tell our listeners, Phil, where can they listen to Series 9 Game Changers? Well, Amico, you can listen to Series 9 of Game Changers on SoundCloud. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Apple Podcasts. And you can listen to it on Google Play. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. So let's go. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.